Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and it's Giants week again as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 283. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell about the Eagles and their Week 10 matchup against the New York Giants, a team that got a big W over a division rival, Washington, this week and is knocking on the door near the top of the NFC East. What can the Eagles do to keep them at bay? We will talk about it all at the top of the show here in Chalk Talk. Before we get to that, though, just a quick reminder, if you have not lately, please jump on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating if you le- and leave us a comment. We will absolutely answer a question here on the show as well. If you go on and leave a question, we will always get to it. I hope you guys are enjoying our new format this year, not just with our early week episodes here with Greg, but with our late in the week episodes as well with myself and Ben Fennell. We dive deep into the Eagles' upcoming matchup. By the way, if you're a fan of the NFL draft or uh, even if you're just starting to kind of get that itch to look forward to the offseason and who the top players are going to be available next year in the draft, you can can also catch Ben and I every single week, twice a week, over on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, wherever podcasts we found. All right, let's get things going here. Let's time now for Chalk Talk with Greg Cosell. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, back again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle on the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, my friend Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, welcome to Week 10, sir. Week 10. Uh- it's good. Week 10. I'm very happy that they'll, they'll probably be a week 10. It's a good thing, Brand, no you know? Yeah, no question. I think, you know, obviously Eagles fans excited for the second half of the season to get underway. Obviously the first half, not exactly what they were hoping for in terms of the overall record, but at the end of the day, still in the lead here at first place in the NFC East. Uh, I believe there was a, a number that came out from ESPN, a 70% chance looking at the FBI, looking forward into the rest of the season to, to come away with the division title. Obviously, they have to take care of business, and a big part of that is winning games in the division. Yep. And there's a big one here this week against the Giants team that is a little bit different than the one the Eagles saw a couple of weeks ago in Week 7 at Lincoln Financial Field on that short week Thursday Night Football. So I'm excited to kind of dive into this matchup here a little bit with you and talk about how that team is a little bit different and how that factors into this matchup on both sides of the football, Greg. Yeah, no, they're 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 definitely different. So it, it it all depends on where you want to start because I think there's a lot to say. Well, let's let's start with the Eagles' offense going up against this Giants' defense, and I, I think really what's interesting, um, you know, obviously we know that the, the strength of, in terms of like their overall talent level, I think the strength of this Giants' defense is with that front three. You know, and they don't play a ton of, you know, quote-unquote base defense, obviously, where, uh, you know, Leonard Williams and Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence and those guys are, are lined up in a pure base 3-4, per se. Um, but you're going to see plenty of all three guys. And, and, Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like Leonard Williams might be playing the best football of his career. I mean, it's certainly uh, – I have I didn't watch him when he was the Jets on a weekly ba- uh, basis, but, I mean, he's, he's been pretty impactful, especially over the last four or five weeks. I would agree with that 100%. And I think he's playing the kind of football that when he was drafted, people thought he could play. Because I'm not sure anyone saw him as a guy who's going to get 15 or 17 sacks, but they certainly saw him as a guy that could rush the quarterback, be very disruptive on the inside, had multi-positional ability, which is exactly the way he's being used right now. But you made an interesting point, Fran. 
since the Eagles game, which was week seven, the Giants have played two games. They easily could have beaten Tampa, and they obviously beat Washington. But in those two games, they've only played in their base 3-4 on 9% of their defensive snaps. So think about that for a minute. Now, again, depending on who the Eagles put out there, the Eagles certainly in their last number of games prior to the bye played high percentage 11 personnel. If that remains the same, the Giants will not be in their base 3-4. Yeah, and you'll see them primarily, I mean, just over the course of the season, uh, primarily nickel team, but a lot of dime and even more dollar, a lot more dollar too over the last couple of weeks with seven defensive backs. Well, no, it's interesting you say that. They played a ton of dollar against the Eagles yep. week seven. The last two weeks, they've not played one snap of dollar. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that was just because of the personnel in that game and the kind of the situation, too, because obviously the Eagles having to come back late in that game, score two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Uh, my guess is, and I haven't looked at all the snaps late in that game, my guess is a lot of those uh, dollar snaps came uh, you know, in that, in that fourth quarter. Yeah, but it's interesting that they played – you know, they played close to 60% nickel in the last two weeks and about 32% uh, dime in the last two weeks. So that, that's been what they've essentially lined up in. So let, let's talk about this from a, a Carson Wentz standpoint, all right? Because we talked last week about, um, the, you know, the obviously the – the positives and the negatives over the first eight games and what they needed to work, what the Eagles needed to work on, what Carson Wentz needed to improve on going into the second half. Now you go up against the Giants defense. It's the first repeat matchup of any team that they face so far this season. But it's a team that they do a lot of different things on the back end, especially. You know, I feel like, um, you know, that's one thing we've talked about in the past with uh, looking at. Uh, the Bill Belichick quote-unquote style defenses is it's front multiplicity and coverage simplicity. I feel like this defense with Patrick mm-hmm. Graham maybe out of necessity a little bit different than that template. Would you say that that's fair? Well, I think the the front multiplicity is true. Is there? Yeah, I would agree. Particularly that out of nickel and dime, which is what they predominantly play in. And there's multiple stun concepts, but I would say that the coverage is is a lot more detailed. Um, you know, they do a lot of different things in the secondary. There's a lot of disguise. There's a lot of late movement to different zone coverage concepts. Um, they do a lot of what we call four-man zone exchange pressures, which means that you still rush four, but the fourth rusher is not a defensive lineman. It could be a linebacker. In the case of the Giants, that fourth rusher is usually – a defensive back. It's it's Jabril Peppers. It's Logan Ryan. It's slot corner Darnay Holmes, who's now a big part of this defense. So they do a lot of that, and uh, and Logan Ryan is a master at that because he did that under Dean Pease in Tennessee for the last couple of years, and he's a really good blitzer. That's kind of that fourth rusher in zone exchange pressure concepts. Yeah, I think that that's um, you know, certainly one of the things you'll see a lot of with this group. I noted that one of their top pressures certainly uh, was slot pressures with a nickel or with a safety coming uh, off the edge, typically from the field. And I think um, the Eagles will certainly see plenty of that uh, in this game. I think when you look at them from an overall standpoint, from a pressure standpoint, you throw in those slot pressures, you see those zone exchange blitzes. You mentioned they will stunt. You'll see basic TE stunts as well. And they will, at, at, you know, on occasion, especially on third down, they'll line up with some tilted fronts. And you'll see yeah. that's so different three-man games and uh, things of that nature. So there's definitely a decent amount that the Eagles will have to prepare for from a pressure standpoint. I mean, the, the from the coverage end, the, I feel like over the last couple of weeks, their disguise has been really good. I mean, that Me interception too. that Logan Ryan had to close out the game last week against Washington, 
I mean, that play was – that was chocolate. That was whiteboard stuff. Like, that was really, really a fun play to break down. Um, if you can – Obviously, there's no video to go along with this, but if you could, you explain like what the what the uh, the issues were that the Giants kind of presented to Alex Smith, a veteran quarterback in this league who has seen a lot, and they were able to fool him late in the game. Well, ba- basically, what it was is it was something that they've been doing a lot of and had been doing all game. And Alex Smith, certainly a veteran, but you're right. I mean, what they basically did is they played, uh, it was disguise and late movement. That That's what they do really, really well. And, and it was a classic case of, uh, it, it was, this was not a zone pressure concept, you know, for me, this was just your basic four man rush with their, their D line. But what they did is they got to, from a look with their safeties that could have kind of been anything. It was a little amorphous pre-snap, Fran, as, as you know, because you've looked at the play as well. Uh, they had Love and Logan Ryan as the safeties, and they had Jabril Peppers kind of in an underneath look. And what they did is they they kind of rotated to what we call cover two invert. So to the field, they actually had the slot corner, uh, Darnay Holmes, become the underneath corner and they had the corner to that side uh who was Bradbury become a deep safety in cover two a half field safety and Logan Ryan who was kind of a half field safety became the middle hole defender in cover two there's always a middle hole defender in cover two normally it's a linebacker who's retreating here Logan Ryan was already deep and he sort of stepped inside and became a middle hole defender and Alex Smith never really picked him up he kind of made this throw off the underneath defender, Jabril Peppers, never quite picking up Logan Ryan as the middle hole defender. And you could tell as soon as he released the ball, Fran, Alex Smith kind of went, oh, you know what? Because then he realized that Logan Ryan was sitting right there. Yeah, and so I feel like this – look, the disguise can be a little bit of a double-edged sword. You can fool defense – or you can fool opposing quarterbacks for sure. You can also do what's called disguise yourself out of coverage where, you know, you're trying to hide, you're trying to hide your hand pre-snap, but maybe your guy can't get to his landmark and the offense is able to take advantage. So this will be a big mental uh, – not necessarily a test. It is a test, but this will be a big mental game for Carson Wentz in that understand what the defense looks like pre-snap – have a quick uh, post-snap read and figure out what's the weak point of this coverage. How do I figure out where the voids are so that I can attack it? If you go back and look at some of the big plays late in the game, uh, the last time these two teams matched, I thought they did a good job of understanding where their holes were in the zone coverage and how to attack it. The 59-yarder to John Hightower stands out. Uh, They had plays dialed up. The Richard Rodgers 30-yard completion, that came out of structure. It was a scramble drill, second reaction play. But the play that was dialed up was a dagger concept that was a great against cover two, which was what the Giants were in. So I think that the Eagles have to have a good idea. Hey, this is what they like to play in these down and distance situations. If Even if they don't show it to us pre-snap, we have to have an understanding. What, what are the answers for us on each and every one of these play calls? Yeah, and, and the key thing here is you've got to be really quick post-snap because yeah. they are going to move. And what you see pre-snap is not likely to be what you get post-snap. And we're talking basically when they're in their sub-dime, six defensive backs. That's when they do most of this kind of thing. So you definitely need to validate and confirm post-snap because Mm -hmm. what you see, as I said, pre-snap will not be what you get post-snap. So, you know, if you get into third and seven to 10, those kinds of plays, you've got to be, you know, Carson Wentz has to be really careful about seeing it before he throws it. 
So let's talk about some of the from a personnel standpoint on the Giants' side defensively. Uh, you know, we've got some changes there, especially in the back seven. Uh, you know, they they uh, re- uh, let go of Marcus Golden. He ends up back in Arizona. They traded him. They brought or they brought up Jabal Sheard, who uh, wasn't yeah. listed as the starter, but got the majority. He got the lion's share of the snaps off the edge uh, this past week. Well, that's because they, they play so much dime, and he he plays in dime. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So uh, you know, Lorenzo Carter, he's on injured reserve, so he's kind of their. I would say they're most established outside rusher at this point, right? I mean, Kyler Fackrell obviously is going to get a lot of the snaps, and he's a versatile player. I don't know that you would necessarily you know, peg him as a pure pass rusher per se, um, but between those two guys, and then they've got some versatile pieces, young guys that they're kind of leaning on, right? I mean, Trent Harris is there. Cam Brown uh, has gotten a decent amount of snaps. He was the, the fifth-round pick or sixth-round pick out of Penn State. He's really long and athletic and toolsy. Uh, you know, I think when you look at these guys, now it's like, all right, They've got pieces to try and mix and match, and they're going to try and manufacture pressure uh, with their different uh, schematic, uh, you know, their blitzes and their stunts and things like that. Yeah, the one thing they they lack, and it's why they probably one reason they do so much of what they do, Fran, is they lack that one pure pass rusher. Yep. I mean, you know, they can they try to orchestrate and manufacture pressure with all the different front looks and the stunts. Um, you know, certainly a guy like Fackrell every once in a while, he can, he can be a factor. Sheard's had a good career being a pretty good pass rusher. We don't know exactly where he is at this point. They obviously brought him in because they lack, they lack that. Uh, but that's the one thing that you would say they lack. So looking at front. it. Yeah, and, and Sheard, obviously, he was a guy that was with Joe Judge and Patrick Graham in New England uh, yep. for a decent amount of time. So they kind of know what they're getting off the field. It's a matter of where he's at from a physical standpoint. Um, Blake Martinez has been stacking up tackles. He's he's doing what he's doing. Devontae Downs is back off injury, and he's back in there starting. He's in there, nickel. You know, yep. Yeah. So, you know, you've got uh, you've got Downs, you've got David Mayo. He's back off injured reserve as well. So uh, mixing and matching there on the inside at linebacker. I think when you look at this, look, uh, you know, the reports are saying that Miles Sanders in the, in the right direction to come back in this game. I think the Eagles could c- certainly use a little bit extra juice uh, in trying to run the football against this front. It's a, it's a good defensive front to try and run the football against. They are, I should say, it's a tough defensive front to be able to run against. When you look at those guys up front, Leonard Williams, very active. Dalvin Thompson's really stout, can change the line of Dexter Lawrence. Dexter Lawrence is just a horse. I mean, he is he is tough to move. He is powerful. Uh, he can collapse. He changes the line of scrimmage. He's tough. I mean, that's, that's a tough group to be able to run against up front. B.J. Hill's pretty good player, too. Yeah, they rotate him in. Austin Johnson has given them good snaps yeah. uh, off the bench as well. So um, when you look at that defensive front, a lot of matchups there. And I thought Leonard Williams, um, he was the guy that, to me, Stood out to me most on film in that last Eagles game. I know I brought him up over what he's done over the last four or five weeks, but in that game in particular uh, on Thursday night, week seven, I thought that he gave Jordan Mailata issues. I thought he gave Sue Opeta issues. Uh, he had some good snaps against the yeah. right side as well. So um, Leonard Williams, number, number 99, a guy to kind of have circles going into this game is, uh, you know, don't let him wreck it. Most, uh, the, the most purely athletic of the group. Yeah, I would say so. You know, he, he's, and, and as, uh, as we talked, he can line up in different spots. That's the key thing. Uh, but yeah, uh, you, you know, it's funny to say, cause they don't have a pure pass rusher, but you really, and you can say this theoretically about any defense, but I think it's particularly true with the giants, even though they don't have a pure pass rusher, you don't want to be in third and long against them because they do so much in terms of their front looks, their stunts and their disguises and late movement. It's, it's just a tough, it's a tough unit to play against if you're in long yardage. 
we'll look at the matchups in the secondary. And I'm, if you could just tell for our listeners how they utilize these guys. You know, you look at James Bradbury, obviously a big ticket free agent signing. Um, you look at Isaac Yadam. They brought him in uh, from the Denver Broncos. He was brought in after uh, after training camp. Logan Ryan was signed late in the process as well. Uh, they got Jabril Peppers, who's healthy now. Julian Love. How, how do they use these guys? What are the different yep. roles? And uh, what are some potential matchups you see in the secondary? Well, they, they in a sense, have three – sub packages let's leave dollar aside because they haven't done that the last two weeks if they're playing 12 personnel they play big nickel they have love peppers and ryan as the safeties in their conventional nickel holmes is the slot corner peppers and ryan are the safeties and martinez and downs are predominantly the nickel linebackers when they go dime love peppers and ryan again are the safeties holmes is the slot corner um so Basically, they they you know play with six there, and the predominant edge rushers, as you said, in that in their dime are Sheard and Fackrell. Right, exactly. So it's a it's a group that you're gonna, you're going to see plenty of rotation. They've, they're they're very yep. versatile in the back end. Um, you know, guys that could play inside, outside. You talk about Julian Love. I mean, he came in the league as a corner. Logan Ryan came in the league as a corner and has played in the nickel for the last few years and plays safety. Uh, Peppers is known for his versatility. Yeah, seems like been, he seems like I he's the tight he end guy really well. Yeah. Do you feel like is Peppers the main tight end matchup? If they play man out of nickel or dime, Peppers is the tight end matchup, yes. All right, so that's certainly a matchup to watch against Dallas Goddard uh, in this game. So, uh, you know, the big matchups to kind of focus in on there. Uh, and I don't know if they're not a team that – I know they've done it in spurts, but not a, a matchup defense in terms of, hey, we're going to take James Bradbury and shadow him. I know they've done it here and there, but yeah. uh, not something I anticipate going into Sunday, right? No, no, and, and they don't play – a ton of man. I mean, they'll play two man. They do play some cover one. Everyone does, but it's not really their, their, their main deal. They, yeah. They're a lot more about disguise and late movement to zone, particularly out of sub. Um, I tell you, I think they've gotten really good play from, from Yadam in the last number of weeks since he's become a starter. Yeah. You know, he's a tall, long, kind of athletic corner, not super athletic, or he would have been a higher draft choice, obviously. But I mean, he came out of BC, as I recall. He was an interesting prospect, didn't work out in Denver. He's, I think he's really helped them over the last number of weeks. Yeah, and I think too that you know you mentioned they played. I think we talked about it on this podcast going into that game a few weeks ago. They played more two man than anybody, and with two man, I mean, look, you are essentially you're giving a lot of protection to those corners. It's a man, yeah, it's question. a man scheme, but you've got the two safeties over the top, so that can overcome any issues. I'll be interested to watch over the course of the next two three years. Uh, as long as Patrick Graham remains the defensive coordinator, if this scheme kind of remains the same. The one big part of it, we talked about two-man, is that they do a lot of bracket coverage as well. And they, I think, led the NFL in bracket coverage coming into this game or coming into that game. I got to see where they're at right now. We'll talk about that later in the week. And that's a function, too, of of the offense's uh, formation. You know, you can get a lot of brackets if it's a two-by-two set. Yep. No, that's a good point. I think yeah. that, you know, the, the, the bracket coverage is, uh, you know, that's the, the play that Boston Scott scored on the game winner. Uh, you know, you're going to be able to take away guys that are the most immediate threats that are, uh, you know, out into the formation quicker. But that's where some of those running back one-on-one routes can, be, can, can come into yeah. fruition a little bit if they're working down the field, typically are not accounted for by the bracket. And so, but uh, they do. You know, the, the thing is, is they've got good people like a lot of times – you know, if if they're playing cover one, which, again, they don't play a ton of it, yep. but normally if they play cover one, Logan Ryan will match up to the back, and, and he's a good matchup for, from the Giants' perspective. Sure. 
No, it's a it's it's a really interesting group, and they're playing hard. They're they're really playing hard and tough uh, good, for that staff. You know, again, look, I mean, we're not going to sugarcoat it. Obviously, Eagles' offense has not been consistent. I don't think I'm saying anything out of school by saying that. Um, this is not an easy matchup for any offense, really. I mean, they 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 do a lot of different things with a lot of different people and personnel groupings, uh, and and they're tough to play against. You know, let's get over to the other side of the ball now, and we'll talk about this Eagles defense going up against the Giants offense. That uh, look, the, the big thing over the last couple of weeks going into that Week Seven matchup, it's like, man, like you know, I think there was a quote from Jason Garrett saying, like, "We're still trying to figure out what we do well." And right. I kind of summed up where they were. I feel like over the last couple of weeks, a run game has kind of evolved a little bit. You know, they, obviously yeah. they lose Saquon Barkley early in the season. They brought in Devontae Freeman. He gets hurt. He actually got hurt in that Week 7 game against the Eagles. So they lean on Wayne Gallman. They activate Alfred Morris. And it feels like you know, they, both guys ran for more than 60 yards the other day uh, against Washington. It feels like they're starting to get things going on the ground a little bit. Uh, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, they've developed not not a powerful run game that you say, wow, they're really good running the ball. But I think it's been enough where it's had some efficiency to it, which to me, they absolutely need. They play a lot out of 12 personnel. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the Eagles choose to match up. But no, they they, they play a lot with multiple tight ends. Uh, they play with two. They play with three at times. Yep. Yeah, I think when you look at the tight end room, I mean, Evan Ingram, obviously a very dynamic athlete, right? I mean, he's and what I think over the last couple of weeks, the big thing that's changed, we remember talking about this with you on that show before that game, you know, Evan Ingram, dynamic athlete, but a lot of quick game stuff. It was sticks and shallow yeah. crosses and slant routes, nothing really down the seam. I feel like they have kind of activated that in his game a little bit more over the last couple of weeks. We are seeing a little bit more vertical routes. We saw that in that game in week seven. Obviously, he dropped the one uh, critical late in the game, but I think we're starting to see them use him a little bit more vertically down the field, and his targets have really kind of spiked up over the last couple of weeks. He has become their most targeted pass catcher, uh, I would say, uh, actually, by a pretty wide margin, by 12 targets, uh, which is a big jump. Yeah. Um, over the last couple of weeks. So Evan Ingram, certainly a guy that the Eagles will have to pay attention to, even though he's had inconsistencies with his hands. He's a dynamic athlete that can, you know, has the ability to impact the game. No, and keep in mind, he scored that 16-yard touchdown this week. It was a two-by-two set. He got matched up on Curl, who played safety this week. He had been uh, playing a lot of slot corner for them at Collins. With Collins being out, they moved him to safety. Um, and, you know, he, that's what he can do. He just basically ran by Curl with ease, and and Jones put the ball on him. And there's that kind of vertical route. It's, it was a high red zone route, but it was a vertical route that you're speaking about. Yeah, uh, certainly that's something that the Eagles will have to be ready for. You mentioned a lot of the two tight end sets. You know, when they get into 12 personnel, 13 personnel, and they're trying to run the football, you know, a lot of their biggest runs, you know, really over the course of the season, but especially over the last couple of weeks, they've really leaned on their gap scheme runs and namely their counter play where, you know, not only are you going to get a guard pulling from the backside, but you're going to get one of those tight ends, namely Caden Smith coming from the backside as well. You're going to get double teams on the play side. And they're, they're getting off 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 yards a pop uh, with Gallman getting downhill, with Alfred Morris getting downhill. It's been a very successful and consistent run for them and something that the Eagles will have to be ready for. They didn't run it a ton in Week 7, um, which makes me wonder, all right, they, you know, they, do they bust it out in this game to kind of go against what they did a, a few weeks ago? Well, I think it makes sense. It's a good run for them because you get the double team. And whether it's going to be against Cox or Hargrave, you, you, you need to get that double team – 
to really move. Uh, it's it's normally a double team against a three technique when you run counter or yep. power, and and you you know you get two big bodies on the three technique, and ideally it creates space for that pulling guard, and you can get some room at least get the back to the second level, and like you say. Even if it's four or five yards, second and five is is not a bad deal because you really want to keep Daniel Jones in a situation. You know, he struggled. We'll get to him in a sec here, but he has struggled this year in a number of areas that that looked very promising a year ago as a rookie. What what do you think is the biggest area where he has struggled so far? Um, I think he struggled, quite honestly, in two areas. I think that he's been inconsistent and erratic with his ball placement, which I did not think was a big issue as a rookie. No. Um, the other issue, which I thought was a real positive trait in his rookie season, is I don't think he's as firm in the pocket in the face of pressure as he was last year and, and as he needs to be. And maybe that's just the cumulative effect of pressure wearing on him. But I thought one of his strengths a year ago, Fran, and I think you probably felt the same way, was that he stood tall in the pocket and delivered the football. No question. And I don't think he's done that as anywhere near as well this year. You know, the thing of it is, is that it's kind of a two-sided coin, too, because I, there are times where I'm watching him, like, you know, like he, he's willing to hold on to the ball, hang in, and deliver, right? And there are times where he looks poised doing it, and other times, he, you know, it's almost like uh, he'll kind of drop his eyes and move around and, and find to make a play. There was the uh, – against Tampa late, he had the fourth down conversion that was late where he kind of showed a little bit of that, right? But right. then there are too many times, too, where he's holding on to that ball too long and he's taking a lot of sacks. Um, you know, I think a lot of the th- one of the things I've seen a lot, you mentioned some of those zone exchange blitzes that the Giants run a lot of defensively. Those have been a lot of the pressures that I feel like have impacted him negatively, where uh, defenses are kind of clouding the windows, you know, making right. sure that they, you know, there's a lot of guys in the, in the passing lanes in their quick passing game. And he's holding on to the football and taking a lot of sacks. You know, the Nate Gary sack uh, was a good example of that a couple of weeks ago against Daniel Jones. Uh, the interception that Jalen Mills had was a good example of that. Washington got him on one of those sacks uh, in this game as well on Sunday. So I think that that's kind of shown up as a theme over the last few weeks for Daniel Jones. Yeah, and there's a difference between waiting in, in the pocket and being patient and standing in the face of pressure and then waiting and falling away and not really being firm. Just because right. you're waiting in the pocket does not mean you're tough in the pocket. Yep. You, know, you have to be able to stand there and with bodies around you really deliver without a loss of your mechanics. And I thought he showed that trade a year ago, and I think he struggled with that this year. So we talk about uh, Evan Ingram. We talked about the run game real quick. Let's just touch on these receivers and the matchups here for the Eagles because uh, Darius Slayton, um, you know, he's a guy that look, he's their big play threat, right? He is the vertical weapon. I thought that Darius Slayton did a really good job against Darius Slayton in that matchup back in week seven. Um, but they had the return of Sterling Shepard and he had some nice catches. Golden Tate had the touchdown on the slot fade on the second possession. He did miss this past game. I guess we'll wait and see if that's something that uh, will carry through here to week 10, if he will be in the lineup or not. But uh, if he is not in the lineup, I would expect a decent amount of 12, you know, because they, they've got some young receivers behind, you know, Austin Mack. Austin Jackson Mack played Adrian. a lot, of, you know, decent number of snaps this week. As an ISO receiver, too, on the backside of trips, yeah. they, they, they you know put, yeah. put a lot on Austin Mack, um, undrafted free agent out of Ohio State. Uh, they bring, they brought in Dante Pettis off waivers from the 49ers. Obviously, he's inactive, kind of getting, uh, you know, situated there. But I think when you look uh, at this Giants receiving core, look, if, if you can lock down Darius Slay, I think that you can, you know, you can try and win some matchups there, and I'll be interested to see how the Eagles decide to play this. Uh, will they try and blitz Daniel Jones, trust the matchups in the secondary, or if they will, you know, will they try and, uh, you know, put, rely on that front four to try and win some of those one-on-ones along the offensive line? 
Well, I don't think Jim Schwartz is going to call me this week for my advice like he normally does. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I would pressure. And again, pressure is yeah. a relative term. Of that course. doesn't mean you pressure on every play. You know you know what I mean, Fran. We've talked about this numerous times. But I think in, in those selected situations, I might increase my blitz frequency a little bit this week, see if Daniel Jones can stand there and deliver the ball. I'd feel pretty good, um, especially if Tate doesn't go, that really Slayton is the guy I'd be concerned about. Uh, but I think you know, obviously Shepard can be a nice, solid receiver, but uh, you normally don't have to worry about him over the top. Normally, you know, obviously over the years, he's made some of those plays against the Eagles, but normally he's not that guy. And I and Austin Mack, I, he caught one this week, but for 50 yards, but that was, I, I don't want to quite call it a bust, although it probably could be called a bust. It was a well-schemed play, you know, it was a well stock receiver play. set. Yep. And Darby did not play it properly. No. So if you want to call it a bust, you can call it a bust. But the point is, I don't think Austin Mack, he's not really a true vertical dimension. What have you seen from the top five pick, Andrew Thomas, over the last few weeks? You know, we, we talked about yeah. him going in, um, had his struggles. Derek Barnett uh, had a sack against him on a really nice spin move. What have you seen from Thomas over the last two games? You know, it's funny you asked me that, and I made a note of that What what – watching um the game against Washington this week I actually thought that um that this week Thomas really competed hard in his matchup with Chase Young I think he still has some technique issues that need to be worked out and and ideally they're working that out with coaching but I thought he really battled and competed against Chase Young this week and Chase Young is just a stud of an athlete but I don't know if – were you watching him fairly carefully? I was, and it's funny because you said that because there was a play I, I was probably about halfway through the game where I believe Chase Young beat him with an inside move, and he got yeah. some help with Gallman on a chip. But yeah. you, could see, you could see Thomas working to finish, and I was like, all right, yeah. he's, showing, he's showing some fight here. Yeah, I thought that this week that stood out to me more than in previous weeks. Hmm. Looking across the rest of the offensive line, you know, Nick Gates is still going to have his troubles at center. Kevin Zeitler's a good player at the right guard spot. Uh, we've seen a little bit more of Matt Payer at times, the rookie third round pick uh, yeah. out of UConn, and he's been playing more at right tackle in place. Of I Cameron think he'll Fleming. continue to play more too. He's yeah. far more athletic than Fleming. You know, I think they're just trying to work him in. I don't know what week he becomes the guy, but it's going to happen soon. And at left guard, another rookie's been playing because Will Hernandez has been on the COVID-19 list. I guess we can wait and see if he'll be activated in time for next Sunday. But Shane Lemieux, the rookie, I believe he was a sixth-round pick out of Oregon, a fifth-round pick, actually, four-year starter with the Ducks. I did. I, I liked I Shane not. Lemieux. I, I like Shane Lemieux. What have you have you know, have you taken note of him over the last couple of weeks at all? Uh, just really in the run game when he pulls. Not other than that, I not have not really studied him individually. Yeah, he was he was a rock solid player uh, for Oregon. I mean, obviously a four year starter, but yeah. I, I liked him. He was really tough. Uh, you know, only played left guard, and that's the spot where he, they have, they've got him slotted in right now. <clears throat> but I thought he was a pretty technically sound player. He was tough. Uh, kind of checked a lot of boxes. He wasn't like a plus athlete, but more than athletic enough. Uh, I thought he had the ability to be a He could be star. one of those guys. And again, you know, obviously if Hernandez comes back, we'll see. Yeah. But down the road, Lemieux could be one of those guys that ends up being an eight, eight nine-year starter. You know, I'm, he's – He's he one profiles of those that guys. way. Yeah, yeah. He've no, yeah, there's no question about it. So, you know, going into this game as the, you know, for the Eagles defense, certainly trying to pressure and rattle uh, Daniel Jones, a, a big key. You want to make sure you don't let Darius Slayton or Evan Ingram, uh, you know, you can't let those guys win those one-on-one matchups. Uh, I, I guess that's, that's really what it comes down to, right, is, you know, just trying to figure out uh, how to see if you can you know, keep them behind the sticks as often as possible. 
Right. And again, as we as we've said, you could say that about every team. Sure, but I right. think I think it's particularly true in this case, because I don't think Daniel Jones this particular year has shown the ability that if he has to make a lot of throws when it's third and six, third and eight, third and nine, that he's going to do that over the course of the game. Well, we talked a lot about the Eagles going into the second half of the season last week on the uh, on this podcast. So make sure if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, we barely talked about the Eagles, go back. Make sure you go listen to that episode. Uh, and with this one, we spent mostly talking about the Giants, talking about this matchup and just how these two. It's a pivotal game. Like I said at the top, uh, you know, the Eagles need to win as many of these division games as possible to really secure their future in the, at the top of the division. This one, it starts here this week. They need, they need a and, big one here against the Giants. You know, this is the kind of game, and maybe the Giants' defense is not the defense to do it against. But don't forget, the Eagles' offense is different, too. Rager's back. Um, Fulgham has played a few more games, and he's clearly established himself as a, as a pretty darn talented guy. Goddard's back. I guess Ertz is not back this week, is he? I don't believe – no, he's not. Yeah, no, he's okay. not. But I think when you look – yeah, but, but I mean Goddard's that's the back. thing. Goddard's back. I, you, that's a, you mentioned. It. I mean, Miles Miles Sanders potentially back. Dallas Goddard, Jalen Rager. That's three guys that did not play. Right. Um, you know, and I think when you look, even at Jason, look, Jason Peters had his best game of the of the season before the bye week, and Jordan Miles did not play well against the Giants the last time these two teams played. Right. So I think when you look at, hey, if, you know, if if that carries through too, um, they, you know, that can be a, another step in the right direction. So I, I, I think mean, when you're you really looking like at that, to see this offense and and. You know, we we spoke, as you said, you can go back and listen. We talked a lot about Carson Wentz last week. But this is a game where you'd love to see the offense at least have some efficiency. I'm not sure that this is the kind of defense you're going to put up 35 because I think they, they're good and they do a lot of things. But you'd like to see some efficiency. You know, and by that, I mean, you don't want to get to the fourth quarter with 10 points. You'd love right. to, you know, you'd love to get to the fourth quarter with, you know, 24, that kind of game. And then I feel like you'll win the game. I think Eagles fans will take that uh, yeah. for sure. Well, Greg, uh, excited to talk all about this game with you next week right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. Thanks for joining us here on Chalk Talk. Thanks, Fran. Don't miss your chance to be in the stands at Lincoln Financial Field this season with an Eagles fan cutout. Put on your game day best and upload a photo of yourself so that you can still join us on game days. Fan cutouts printed by Rico are only $100 with net proceeds benefiting Eagles Autism Foundation. Your purchase will also waive the registration fee for the 2021 Eagles Autism Challenge event. Order yours at PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash cutouts. Tired of searching for sports updates in different places? The Xfinity Sports Zone gives you the ultimate sports hub experience where you can find games, news, and highlights all in one place right on your TV. Follow the teams you love across your favorite sports. You can even use the voice remote to access stats and scores. With the Xfinity Sports Zone, everybody wins. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store for details. Restrictions apply requires Xfinity TV service with X1. Great stuff from Greg. You can follow on Twitter just like I do at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce with Eagles Entertainment. And you know, I really appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the other way is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, or even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout out to uh, today to a couple of people who left some questions in the last couple of weeks. And that's, uh, we'll start things off with ZRL. 17 who left us a five-star review on our Apple podcast page saying how much they enjoy the show with a fun question. 
I need a new Eagles jersey, so I've got an Eagles question for you. Actor Terry Crews was on the 1996 practice squad for the Eagles. Would it be acceptable to get a custom Terry Crews jersey for just a practice squad player? And if you were to pick, who would be your coolest player's jersey be? So uh, it's a good question. I am not a jersey aficionado. Um, I, I would say for your best advice there, go follow at Bounty Bowl on Twitter. Um, but I think it's perfectly acceptable to get a custom-made Terry Crews jersey. I mean, I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to turn you down on that one. Uh, you got to give love to the guys on the practice squad. Boston Scott came from the practice squad. Greg Ward, of course, Travis Fulgham. So uh, it's a lot, a lot of talent uh, on this Eagles team that started on the practice squad. Um, if I had to pick one guy to get a jersey of on the team, I guess like I'm a big one for like the, the staying power, right? So to me, like I look at who has made one of the best players, one of the or one of the hugest plays in team history. I gotta go with Brandon Graham. Not to mention he's one of my favorite players on the team from a, from a personal standpoint. Uh, always love interviewing and talking with Brandon Graham. So uh, to me, I'd go, I'd go with the number 55. That would be the jersey uh, that I would pick. And he's, again, he's got staying power. You can always rock a, a 55 and feel like, yeah, like this guy made the play that helped seal the victory uh, for the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Uh, one more question here. MJ Smith 91 left us, left us a five star review on our Apple podcast page saying, love the show. With all the new members on the Eagles offensive coaching staff, there seems to be a lack of creativity on the goal line, and especially in those two-point conversions. I was hoping you could speak about the goal line play calling and why they run so many QB options and runs with limited success. Thank you again. So uh, MJ, that's a good question. So I went back and just for this question, I went back, I just watched all of the two-point plays and I actually watched all of the plays inside the five-yard line this year, runs and passes, just so I can answer this question. Uh, on two-point plays right now, they are five of 11. So just under 50%. Uh, they're at 45.5%. That's 13th in the league. Um, but it is also the most attempts of anyone in the NFL. They by far go, go for two more than anybody in the league. So you kind of keep that in mind. And 45%, uh, you know, they were 5 of 11 so far this year through eight games. They were just four of seven the entire year last year. So they have like far surpassed what they did a year ago, um, you know, in terms of their two-point play volume. So uh, again, I looked at all the two-point plays, all the plays inside the five-yard line. I think when you look at the good and you look at the bad, from the good, they are, they've been really good with different rub routes. And not just the rub routes. You think of all the plays where... You know, Greg Ward is running to the pylon. Jalen Rager just scored his touchdown uh, this past week against Dallas, running to the pylon. Zach Ertz has one just like that. But it's not just that. It's also the add-ons off of that, where they're going to fake the rub, and you, know, you see kind of like a double move. Uh, we've seen that this year. Uh, I believe Zach Ertz scored, uh, I believe it was a touchdown in the back of the end zone back in week one against Washington on a similar kind of play. They've done a lot of different things like that as well. So all the rubs, and then I would say too, the quick in-breakers, that's always been a go-to for this team. Um, and the, they've done the, the fake double moves off of that as well. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside converted uh, where he was looked like he was going to go to the post on a quick inbreaker, then broke back out towards the sideline. I believe that was against Baltimore on a two-point conversion play. Um, so they've had success there uh, with those. Miles Sanders has converted a couple coming downhill, just straight like inside zone, smashing stacks. They've been able to convert there. And then quarterback sneaks as well. And that's always been one of the go-tos uh, when the Eagles have you know one or two yards to go. They've had some success down on the goal line uh, in those scenarios as well. The bad, look, you, you mentioned the lack of creativity and I don't think it's been a lack of creativity because they've done what I would think most people would say are creative things you know we've seen some uh, unique formations you know they've moved offensive linemen out they've done all these different things they just haven't been able to hit and, and so that's the thing that's the tricky part of you know when you are being creative and you are being unique and you are being exotic from that standpoint uh, if, it, if it works it's the Philly special. It's great. It's legendary. When it doesn't work, it's like, well, what were you guys doing with that, right? So I think that uh, you know that's kind of the double-edged sword of being creative, you know, in the 
in those kind of situations. And uh, yeah, they, they have not had much success with the quarterback option stuff, you know, whether it's been Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts with both guys, they haven't had a lot of success in these lose plays, in those situations inside the five or with those two point plays. Look, this is what South Scouting is all about. And so this past week, uh, when the Eagles were, you know, going into this past weekend, that's what they're doing. They're looking at all aspects of situational football and, hey, what are the things that we're doing? What can we improve on? What are some of the tells that we're doing? What are we doing too much of? What are we not doing enough of? So, yeah, I'm interested to see what the, the two-point game plan, what the goal line game plan is coming out of this break and see what they, what they come up uh, off of that. They might say, hey, look, uh, on the plays that didn't work, it was a, you know, we tweak this here or there, and all of a sudden we're, we're cooking with gas, so we're not going to change too much. Or they might look at that and say, yeah, like we got to take this whole chunk of the game plan, throw it out. We got to do more of this. And so uh, I'm interested to see what comes out of that. And that's not just in that situation, that's in every situation across the board. That's third down, that's red zone, that's backed up, that's first and 10, that's opening script. Literally, let, that's everything. Every part of the game plan gets looked at on both sides of the football. So uh, again, that's what the bye week is all about. Special thanks this week as well to Greg Cosell and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on Eagles Entertainment. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you later this week.